This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Okay, welcome to another episode of With You in the Weeds, where you never find artificial intelligence. It's all completely real, homogenized, pasteurized, and filled with vitamin D. And I'm here with Austin. Hello, Austin, Connor. Hey. And hey, Jay. I'm full of artificial intelligence. Are you? <laughs> well, I want to encourage you guys uh, to help me encourage our audience to go to our website, withyouintheweeds.com. And, you know, you don't have to say .com anymore. Just with you in the weeds. Well, probably .com is good, but you don't have to do www. anymore. Um, so we're going to have an open house on March 1st. Uh, we can uh, see you. You can see us. That's why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. We thought it would be fun to do. Uh, Friday from 5 to 7 on March 1st, uh, you can find a link in the show notes to sign up. And we would love to have you there. there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that just as a chance, you know, for people, uh, maybe you already know us, but if you haven't gotten a chance to meet us, we would love to meet you, say hey. And also, it's just a chance for us to hear from you. What do you want more of? How have you been helped? Um, Because as much as we really obviously enjoy doing this stuff, we couldn't do what we're doing without you listeners. So this is a chance just for us to say thank you and you can help us uh, know what you want to keep hearing and how we can, you know, keep working. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have some, uh, some beverages, some, uh, food you Mm -hmm. can mingle and Mm -hmm. you can find a seat if you want to sit instead of stand. It's going to be, it's going to be laid out really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly some door prizes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A little Joanna Gaines feel to the decorative side of things. Yeah. And Lynn's doing all that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, What we're doing today, we're going to finish out the Managing Your Dysfunctional Family series. We've talked a lot about the problems in dysfunctional families, like difficult mothers, fathers, sibling rivalry, all that stuff. And honest, you know, it takes a bit of a negative flair if you pile these episodes up one after another. So today we want to do something a little bit different. We want to focus on what a healthy family looks like and what, quote unquote, success looks like. Specifically, this episode is called The Blessings of a Christian Family. And Austin, you're going to tell us why this is so important. Yeah, I'm actually, before I get to there, I want to do just a little caveat. I want to define something. You know, what are we talking about when we say a Christian family? And maybe I should add a healthy Christian family. Um, Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean a sinless, mess-free family. It doesn't mean that each member has 100% rock-solid faith in Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't mean that everybody's got an, it's an intact family, no divorce. You got a nice big house, a picket fence, two dogs, 3.2 children. You know, dad works full time, mom stays home. You know, maybe this was more of a norm in the fifties. And, and I think some people might believe this is like the ideal or the golden age, but it's not. Um, Instead, what we mean when we say a healthy Christian family, we're talking about a family that admits that sin is a problem and is fighting against it. Uh, It's a family that's fighting to believe in Jesus just a little bit more every day. Um, They're open and honest about questions and even doubts about Jesus and faith and all these things, but they continue to work through them. Um, now, obviously, you guys probably know this verse. One of my favorite verses that addresses this is from Mark 9.24. It's a declaration from a father who just saw Jesus cast a demon out of his child. Okay, think about what you would say if you saw that in person. This is what this dad says. I believe, help my unbelief. He believed in Jesus right then and there. And at the very same time, he admitted that he had unbelief. And what did he do with that? Well, he asked Jesus to help him with it. And, and this is the heart posture, I don't know, that's, that's baked into a Christian family. Uh, last thing, final thing, a Christian family, healthy Christian family, makes an effort to prioritize uh, reading the Bible on a regular basis, maybe together as a family, maybe individually. And this can and really should look different in families based on the ages of kids, life stages, their abilities, all that. But but the big takeaway there is that they make it a priority. And there's also this priority to make an effort to get involved in the church community in some way or another. And Shay, I know you're going to get to this here in just a little bit, but you know it means attending church on Sunday, maybe in some sort of small group. And, and I say all this because Jesus he's not only uh, have an individual relationship with his people, but he's building a church. And a church uh, foundationally isn't just a building, but it's a group of people. So uh, I'm done. I know that was kind of a long-winded explanation, but we want to make sure that you know what we mean when we say healthy Christian family. Um, Shay, can you explain more just about what are we going to do in today's episode now that we know kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, here's where we're going. Uh, So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about kind of the specifics. Um, You mentioned a few, Austin, but but what are the specifics of a healthy Christian family? What's that look like? In other words, what uh, should we... What should the goal be? What should we be shooting for? What could we say? And then secondly, we're going to discuss why it's worth it to pursue this goal. Um, In other words, what's the positive impact if and when we start cultivating a, a healthy Christian family? And, uh, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, a couple of problems, or um, I might put it this way, pitfalls, just to be aware of um, that can arise growing up in a Christian family. And so let me throw it to you, John. Why don't you get us started? Um, what does a healthy family or Christian family look like? Yeah, I'm going to hit two areas. And one, you might, you might be expecting us to say something like, well, we read our Bibles 10 minutes every day, and we pray together, and we go to church together, et cetera. We're going to go a little below the surface um, and look at something that undergirds everything that provides for really healthy uh, connection with each other, which is really what God desires. He desires connection. He built us for that. And everything in our culture and in our hearts 
and the enemy pulls us away from that connection. So what are the building blocks of really good connection? And we've talked about this before. We'll just do it again very quickly. The four S's. Um, Number one, I'm seen. And well, here are the four S's. I'm seen, I'm soothed, I'm safe, I'm secure. But very briefly, what, what do we mean by that? Seen. That just means that I'm in this family and I know that I matter. I am taken into account my interests, my heart, my feelings, my ambitions, my dreams. I'm known. Um, my peeps know me inside and out. They study me. They want to know me. That's the seen piece. And then there's the soothed. Basically, what we mean by that is when life hits hard, and boy, when she hits hard, she takes you for a dance. And when she hits hard, I have a place to go for refuge, for comfort, for hope. Um, Safe. That means my heart and my physical being are not threatened or in danger. And I'm secure. I have a stable platform for trusting that my future with this family will be relatively secure. It's a solid foundation. And really, the secure piece grows out of being seen, soothed, and safe. Um, So those four S's are real important ingredients to add to get a healthy family. And then the second big one is just take ownership and apologize for things that you do when you mess up. Like, I'm showing up and I own this. I'm responsible. It seems so basic. Doesn't it? But, I mean, that'll, so easy. that'll preach, as Shay likes to say. That'll, yeah. that'll preach. It'll go a long way. Yeah. And Jesus, you forgive as you've been forgiven, right? To have yeah. that kind of humility, that kind of heart. Working that stuff out in shoe leather is complicated. It's easy to say on a podcast. However, the reward from it, if you put the work into it, pays great dividends down the road. I agree. Austin, would you add a couple more yeah. things that, that to John's list? Yeah, there's there's a couple more. Uh, and I love that list, John, especially the four S's. Those are, those are great. Um, the first one, uh, you know, healthy Christian family, there's just regular reconciliation of conflict. This is a little bit related to what you just talked about. You know, we're assuming there's going to be conflict in families. And That's if you've, the norm. If you've been a family, if there's no conflict, I think something's wrong or I don't know what that's like. It's not a thing. It's going to happen. But you have control over what to do when the conflict arises. And what characterizes healthy Christian families is the regular habit of reconciling these conflicts. That means, just like John, what you said, take ownership of your part or part in it and extend genuine apology. On the flip side, and Shay, you just mentioned it, it means a willingness to offer forgiveness if and when somebody else shows signs of genuine repentance. And we do this because this is what Jesus did and does for us. Um, So we get to mirror and imitate this in our relationships with others, especially in our families. Um, And one more that, I don't know, is a little bit more subjective and based on feel uh, is the reality that healthy Christian families just, I don't know, they have fun together. Um, they enjoy each enjoy other. Enjoy each Doesn't have to be all the time. That's not true of my family, but but it's it's kind of in the rotation, so to speak. And maybe we're talking about you have a weekly game night, or you go on vacations together, live it up like the Rouches, man. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> that means the Lake of the Ozarks. Is let, what that let, means. So. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, maybe you have little traditions that everybody in your family looks forward to. You know, several years ago, in our family, we started a tradition of pizza and movie night every week. 
where that's all we do. One night a week, we, we order pizza and we watch a movie together. Sometimes the kids invite their friends. Other times it's just our crew. But over time, our family looks forward to this and it's a fun time together. And we sit around and pet the dog. Then to, to each their own. <laughs> I feel like it's S- really fun. We just pet our SNL, pet the dog, and I don't know what to S- say. SNL needs to make like a skit of the tenants at home just petting Kevin the dog. Oh gosh, if you can see, John's just cracking up but right it, now. It's soothing, right? It brings <laughs> happiness. Well, it is. You, you pet a dog or a cat, right? And it it's your happy. It, if you've been listening, if you've been listening long right. enough, you know that that was not in the show notes, and John just gave us a little blessing well, of what no, his life it's is true. like. Nothing else is happy. Yeah. So yeah. you sit and you pet the dog. Yeah. The dog kind of regulates the fan. You know. Thank you, John. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. It's good. Yeah. Now, yeah. you know, whatever your family right. likes to do, That's you right. just enjoy being That's right. around each other That's in the right. same room, you know? You know, and admittedly, okay, any family can have fun together. You don't need to be Christian or not. But but I included it as an aspect of a healthy Christian family because, you know, when you have fun together, there's just a natural, you want, you want to be drawn to want to be together. And I think there's that same association that God wants us to have with him, just a desire to be with him. And so over time, little by little, when we have fun together with our families and enjoy one another, we're carving out an experiential association of what it's like to be in a relationship with God. Now, I wouldn't explicitly say, you know, in family, we are now curving out an experiential association. Like, that's kind of like explaining a joke. (laughs) When you explain it, it loses the humor. Don't do that. But I bring it up just to say this is why and how this can and will make a difference kind of down the road. Yeah, those are really good, Austin. I'm going to add one more that is obviously important when we're talking about a Christian family, and that's the spiritual piece or the spiritual side. And I and I say this not because it's just a tack on, right? But but hopefully Christian homes will be characterized by, you know, that this idea that everything that you do, you do for the glory of God. You know, Paul says that, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it for his glory. So um, I, I think honoring Jesus uh, affects, obviously, how we view marriage, how we view our parenting, our work, our play, uh, how we spend our time, how we, you know, giving of our money, those kind of things. And, and I think every home is different, but there may be some common features that we can expect to find in Christian homes. Um, hopefully, a, a healthy Christian home is more than just having wall art with the verse Joshua 24, 15, you know, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Back to the point is that, uh, you know, um, Christian homes just don't have catchy verses, right? On right there's the some substance. There's yeah, some substance yeah. to them. Yeah. But here's some things I, I might say. Um, hopefully joy is a characteristic of a Christian home. You, you know, it's important to understand that joy and happiness are are not necessarily the same things, right? Um, happiness is a result of what happens to us, our circumstances, but but joy has deeper roots. And so every marriage and every family is going to experience trials and hardships of various kinds. But but there's no circumstance that can rob us of our joy if we know that the key to our present circumstances and our future destiny lies in, in Jesus, right? Um, so things like knowing God's promises in the midst of hardships that he that families go through, that he's with us, that he loves us, that he is sovereignly in control of our lives and the, the trials we face helps us to face those trials differently. 
Um, or at least it should. So the, you know, Paul says, you know, that we can have joy in the midst of our circumstances because we know who's in control and, and that our eternity is secure. Uh, and another thing is, is I, I think a, a Christ-centered home, right, should be marked by, by grace. Um, and it, it should be a safe place to mess up. Uh, family members need the kind of the medicine of grace, if you will, applied to the wounds of their hearts. Um, they need to remember that love, not perfection, is the goal. Um, will you say that again? That's a great yeah, line. Yeah, that love, not perfection, is the goal. So, you know, there's enough—think about it. There's enough hostility and judgment and sarcasm and biting humor and antagonism out there in the world. So hopefully the home should be kind of a retreat hmm. where the hurting can find comfort and, and rest and healing. Um Another thing I would say is a Christian home is to be a place of, of service. It's really where we learn to um, die to selfishness, and we learn how to serve one another because we all have to live together and, and get along with one another. Um, so hopefully it, it would be known, the home would be known for acts of kindness and respect and humility and and love. And so this is where husbands and wives you know, serve one another. And obviously when kids come along, you have to serve them as well. Yeah. And I think in, in doing so, you, you become more and more like Jesus. And then I, I think also just seeing the, the mundane things of life, doing laundry, housekeeping, lawn mowing, again, those things are important things, right? That we do those things for the glory of God. And, and, um, well, it's managing what God's given you and taking care of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's exactly an intentionality. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I haven't been great at this, but, delegating uh, the duties in the home and where our kids, you know, we, we sometimes, <laughs> over the years, I just remember Lynn and I are doing everything for them, you know, but, but yeah. giving them, giving them yeah. responsibilities well, as and well. I, I love that, you know, you said we should be known for acts of kindness, respect, humility, and love. Where I'm at, I think you guys are a little bit further ahead. We're teaching my kids who are 12, 10, and 8, this takes work. And if you, depends on the day you get me, I can think I'm doing this awful and terrible. My kids are awful to each other. And then there's other days where it's going really well. And so as you think about this, if you're listening and you're kind of just that in that intense stages of life with maybe younger kiddos, try to evaluate and take it on a big picture evaluation. Play the long game. Play the long game. Just, yeah. just don't, you know, if you had a bad day as much as you can, just realize, get up and try again. And, and really not to be, cheesy or trite, like ask Jesus to help you to keep going because this is a worthy goal. And Shay, I'm so glad you you brought it up because that hard work over time is, is going to get there. And that's yeah. what we're shooting for. So, you know, in anyway. the marriage class, we tell parents, expect obedience tomorrow, that's not good. today. That's, that's really good. good. Because yeah. it yeah. takes a long time Patience. to integrate yeah. and learn. Sorry, yeah. I got you off yeah. track. No, Shay, that's good. Let's keep going real quick. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think a Christ-centered home is a place where, yeah, Spiritual disciplines are practiced, right? And again, never perfect on this, but um, hopefully, you know, um, it's a place where your your family members are you're reading their Bibles, praying, um, spending time with God, and and you know, I think that's important for parents that your you know your kids see you doing that. You can't say, yeah. The Bible's a priority in my life, and they never see you reading it. That that sort of that's thing. That's a great point. Right? And, that's a great and, point. And so uh, make it a priority. Um, 
you know, I, I make the, make the word of God a priority in the in the home. I, I remember um, there was a story I, I shared it in a chapel service with a Mizzou football team one year, but. Just a, a, a dad, uh, this guy was talking, he was the son talking about his dad, and his dad went through all these trials, lost his job, and and it just uh, unfairly and, and went through some health issues. But he just remembered, what he remembered is his dad every morning getting up and just reading his Bible. And he said his dad was went through it all, was just an oak for that family. And so, um, so, so important to be in the Word. Um, also, I think... It, a Christian home has God's heart for the world. That's where you can learn God's heart for the world, hopefully. Um, so, you know, I'm going to phrase it this way. Does your family have a mission focus? Um, are you, do you, are in the family, are you learning then to serve the community where um, you live? So your neighbors are glad that Christians live in their city and, and then in their neighborhoods. Um you know, we're told, Jeremiah tells us that we're to seek the welfare of the city where, where we've been planted. And uh, um, and then also, in terms of a mission focus, do you have a desire to see the gospel shared with with other people? I, I know that in our home, our kids were great at just um, inviting their friends to church and where they would, would hear the gospel. Or if their friends were maybe going through something in life, they were. My kids would like, "Hey, mom and dad, would would you be willing to talk with so and so?" And so having those kind of conversations are 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 so important. And so, um, are you? I think a healthy Christian home. You know, is it a place where you invite non Christians in to share a meal and 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 uh, talk through issues and build build those long lasting kind of relationships. It's so important. And and the last thing I'd mention, I think you mentioned it earlier, Austin, is is that the home is a it's normal and there's even encouragement to talk about spiritual things. Um, so there's an encouragement to 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 be in the fight against sin, um, to keep short accounts with others. To there's a uh, the idea of confession and and repentance and forgiving one another is encouraged. And uh, you're also encouraged to, to to love and follow Jesus. That's a priority. And so I, I might just mention that, you know, also you you a Christian family makes church a priority and worshiping together as a family. Yeah, so key. That's a really good one. And it hits home for me because growing up, I went to church, but it was, we only maybe talk about that stuff on Sundays. And then the rest of the week, it was nothing. And so one thing I've tried to do is just, yeah, bring up just random small spiritual things that just make it seem normal. Like, hey, what's Jesus eating for breakfast, do you think? Or, you know, what was his what was his favorite food if he would be here today? Just stuff like that here and there to make spiritual things a normal part of life. So I, I like that. Think of it like going to the beach. If you go to the beach and you hang out at the beach for a week and then you come home, you have sand everywhere. It's in your trousers, it's in your swim trunks, it's in your suitcase, it's on your shoes. If you're drawing from the life of Jesus, like personally, and that's your life source, that's going to spread out as an influence mm -hmm. in your family. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so it's, it's really not so much about like, here are all the rules you keep. It's if you're drawing from the life of Jesus, you know, the just the common means of grace, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, prayer, mm -hmm. your day in, day out depending on him, that, that's going to bleed over. The yeah. sand's going to get everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's I, a great, that's great. That's I, great. I, that analogy to me is very freeing. Mm -hmm. So I get burdened by, well, I got to do this, 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 and this, and then I'll get a godly family. Right. And it, 
It yeah, doesn't quite work like that. I'm glad you brought that up. And we're going to transition to, you know, what, what are the impacts for a second? But, you know, we just went through a lot of those things. And John, just like you said, listeners, if you hear that, our goal is not to be weighed down and you don't have to be perfect, but just as an idea of like, oh yeah, okay, maybe these are things and ways I can do that. No doubt. I bet some of you have these down pat, but then there's other ways that you're like, yeah, I could probably be working on that. So take those, apply them as you see fit. Um, now let's move on to talk about why it's actually worth it to shoot for these and, and what are just some of the impacts that can happen in if and when we do this. Now, we've broken this down into three specific areas. We've got uh, impact on, on you personally. There's an impact in your family. And then there's a broader impact in society as a whole. So, um, Father, Father Juan, start <laughs> us off. You know, what can happen to people on a personal level if and when people begin to cultivate a healthy Christian family. Yeah, why is it good to grow up in a Christian home? You know, that is interesting. I remember, and he's passed away, but very influential in the evangelical world, R.C. Sproul. And I took a class from him. This was years ago. And I asked him, I said, well, what about the person who is not born into a Christian family? They've not heard about Jesus. That's just terribly unfair. And what do you do about that? How does God look at that? And he looked at me and he said, brother, he said, just be thankful that you were born into a home where you learned about Jesus. Mm -hmm. He said, it is his grace to you. Simple. Boom. End of subject. And, you know, we can't answer all those big questions about what's fair, what's not fair. But the impact of growing up in a home where you're brought near to the gospel does give you an advantage. Yeah. Which is all the more reason, right, to look for ways to impact other people in the world that have not heard about the gospel. So, yes, there is a personal advantage to growing up in a home where you hear about Jesus and you're treated with the kindness of Jesus. It's easier for you when you get older and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus to make the transfer. Like, yeah, I, I think it's a great point, Joe. I don't think people think about that much, but just think about you're a kid and you grow up in a home where the gospel is central. And then you, you know, when you get to that age that you start to understand that you've done things wrong and, and you mm. need forgiveness, and then you start to see your need for him. I mean, what a, what a blessing that is. Yeah, the, the parents are basically missionaries to the children to model the life of Jesus so that when they get older, they're like, oh, well, this is what trust felt like. I can transfer that to God. You know, this is what kindness was like. God must be like that. Yeah, you later in life then have a scaffolding inside of your brain and your heart that you can transfer over into what it might be like to follow God as kind, a loving authority, a trustworthy person. So your, your parents are being missionaries to their kids. Yeah, I, I, and I, that's such a great point. I think that, you know, the, the, I mentioned that there's some pitfalls maybe of, of growing up in a Christian home. And, and I would say this is we have to be careful not to think that just because you were born into a Christian family, right, or, or grew up in a Christian home, that that makes you a Christian, right? Um, you, you know, the, you have to at least come to a point where— um, you own the faith. Ah, so it's not just theirs, but now it's mine. It's mine, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Right. and so usually that happens, what, in the teen years, college, sometimes even in the college years. And, uh, but hopefully the home is the place where, you know, you can go 
um, when you reach that point and you can ask the hard questions and you can get answers or at least as a parent, you know, if you don't know the answers, you, 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 you point your kids to good books that they can read or maybe a conversation with a pastor and th- those kind of things to, um, to help people process um, those, those, those hard questions that they have. And, um, and then, and hopefully you, you grow up in a home where the, the, the family can process these kind of things. Hey, the one thing that I, I wish I would have said earlier that you're reminding me of, the other thing that kids see when you're being missionaries to them, and I, I think this needs to be said, is let them see you fail. Mm-hmm. Because the Christian life is not a life of perfection. It's a life of repentance. And man, oh man, oh man, when a kid sees a parent make a mistake and own it and trust in Jesus for forgiveness and to keep going, that's so powerful. Absolutely. So your failures can be redeemed. It's not like doing all these things right to have this healthy Christian home and oops, if you goof up, it's all over. No, the goof ups are actually teachable moments and their points of redemption if the parent opens their heart to, God, what do you want to do in me through this? Holy Spirit, this is good for you to show me this. John, that might be the most important thing we've said on this podcast (laughs) right there. Well, man, I hope so, because that's the only thing I've ever added to my parenting. Modeling honesty (laughs) and humility and repentance to your kid. I mean, I think the opposite of that, which is I think is another pitfall, is when the family professes belief in these things to be true, but then the kids see that they don't live out what they truly believe, and they see, you know, just just huge hypocrisy in, in their parents. I think that does more damage than a family that models repentance and openness about you know, yeah. their struggles. You I know? don't know about you guys, mm-hmm. but my whole Christian life has been three steps forward, two steps back. Yeah. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Here's yeah. another pitfall <clears throat> I might just mention of growing up in a Christian home is um, I, it seems like I've, I've, I've dealt with this. People will come in, but you have to beware. If you grew up in a home like that, um, that you have to beware becoming the older son in the story of the prodigal, right? Because you, you grew up in this home. Maybe it's, a, you know, you, 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 it's maybe more moral or whatever, and you think, you know what? I don't really need the gospel. I, I grew up, you know, this way and that sort of thing. And so, and you become, become very legalistic and look down upon other people, those sinners out there, and you don't see your need for, for Jesus. So just just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the that's the— you know, the impacts, what can happen on a personal level? What would you say, what are some of the impacts that you've seen can happen in families as a whole? Yeah, let me broaden this a little bit. Um, Let me go to a passage where Paul talks about if you have a family set up where you have a believing partner and an unbelieving partner. And he says something like really interesting. Um, In the passage in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, And kind of, let me just background what was happening. The gospel was moving through a very um, broken and like almost godless culture. They worshiped all kinds of gods, but not the one true God. So they were filled with immorality, sexuality. I mean, America has nothing on the city of Corinth. Mm -hmm. So he's addressing this issue because you would have like one partner in the marriage coming to Christ and the other one not. 
So the question was, what in do you that do? time, what do you do? Do, yeah. do I just leave Stay this? married or get divorced? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul says something interesting. He says, no, don't divorce unless the unbeliever is unwilling to stay in the marriage. And here are the reasons. Because the presence of the Christian would do two things in the family, even if you didn't have everyone you know, in the family unit, specifically husband, wife, one of them's not believing. So they're not in unity around following Christ. The one being a Christian will bring two impacts on the family. Number one, the unbelieving partner will be sanctified. And that's a big $500 word in theology, which means set apart, um, made whole. And the children would be holy, set apart for a specific purpose, for God's purposes. Now, this doesn't mean that their hearts were automatically transformed into being Christians. Paul is saying that because the unbelievers are in close proximity to the presence of God through the believing partner— that God's blessings and his goodness would spill over into their lives in a general way. Can I summarize this and tell me if I'm getting it right? Essentially, what I think I heard you say is the one believing spouse, the way they live their life, the way that they talk, the way they treat others, that's going to that's gonna be contagious. Yes. And so the unbelieving partner, the kids, they're going to see a real live uh, concrete picture of a different way to live. And yep. eventually over time in a perfect world, that would lead them, persuade them to say, yes, I'm in, I want what you have. Exactly. Because the presence of Jesus in the believer is very powerful. Uh, Tim Keller used to say, if you take a baby elephant and you put it in somebody's living room while they're out to eat and they come back, do you think it's going to look the same? <laughs> so, you know, the impact of the gospel is going to make a specific difference. So here's a way to illustrate it. What, what if you're, just imagine you're in college and your best friend is Bill Gates's son and you guys want to be roommates. Well, don't you think that if you're roommates with Bill Gates's son, there's going to be some spillover into your life of blessing and privilege and things you normally wouldn't be able to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, hey, my dad, Bill, and his wife, they're coming in for Thanksgiving. 16 jet skis, man. And we're flying to the Bahamas. You're coming with me. Now, you, that doesn't mean you're part of the Bill Gates family. It just means that because you're around them, guess what? There's blessings. It's like a shockwave. Yeah. It, right. It's going to move through. Yeah. And it's kind of the same with the gospel yeah. where you have one believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse. You know, in our in our planning meeting, John, you were telling a little bit of how this landed for you personally. Would you be willing to share more about what this looked like for you? Yeah, and, and I can make it kind of succinct. My mom uh, raised me as a single mom. And when I was seven years of age, uh, she went to an old Southern Baptist revival. And, you know, God, gosh, God uses all sorts of things. She was so scared to go down front and asked to know Jesus and receive him when the altar call came. She wouldn't budge until she saw this beautiful woman go down the aisle. And she thought, well, if, if she can go down the aisle, she's beautiful. I'm going down the aisle. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> it's kind of odd how God uses things to nudge us. Mm -hmm. um, but she became a Christian, legit. Mm -hmm. And I noticed a distinct difference in her life. Um, she stopped dating some of the men that she had been dating. Uh, she was home more often. Hmm. We started going to church. Uh, she started reading her Bible. 
And I noticed this at seven years of age. Hmm. And she taught me John 3.16, all right, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, um, that whosoever believeth in him should never perish but have everlasting life. So she taught me that verse. And in a couple, within a couple of weeks, she said, you know, I have asked Jesus to be in my life. And would you like to ask him to be in your life? And I thought, well, I don't want to miss out on like what my mom's got. So I made a childhood wow. profession of faith that didn't take root until I was 18. Right. Much but it, later. That wouldn't have happened, though, without your mom's decision, follow the beautiful woman down the aisle, make the changes. And it eventually made a difference in your life. It really did. Yeah. Uh, made a huge difference. Uh, we still had problems. We still had challenges. Um, but that was a very strong, powerful impression made upon me as a child. Mm. And I yeah. never forgot it. A believing parent can have a sanctifying effect on the entire family. They, yep. they can change the course of of the family forever. I mean, I, not to get into it, but my mom's story was the same thing. You know, she was married to an alcoholic and had to divorce him because of his alcoholism. And but but you know she said look no more <laughs> no more alcohol in our home kind of thing this oh, yeah, is she, not going to characterize she said no more our, our home or but but think of you know parents that that say look I'm going to draw some boundaries here we're not going to allow drugs we're not going to allow a ton of immorality and and when they put up those healthy boundaries. Um, and and keep evil out, so to speak. Some of those right. things, right? Yeah. That that um, that's that protects kids growing up, and uh, protects kids from all kinds of evil. And and that's God's grace to you. I mean, who wouldn't want to grow up in a home yeah. with a believing parent that's yeah. just saying, "Hey, there's going to be boundaries, and right. these evil things aren't coming in." I don't know about you guys, but th- this is this is just helpful for me because it's so easy, at least for me, to default to in the moment. You know, we're in the trenches of life, but hearing some of these big picture, long-term effects, that's why we're doing this, and it's really helpful. So I hope you're finding this helpful. Um, We've done the personal impact. We've done the family impact. All in with societal impact, you know, what can happen in society if and when we cultivate a healthy Christian family. I think at least two things can happen. Um, First, we get the chance to break some false cultural stereotypes. You know, right now in Western culture, Christianity's influence and impact is moving to the margins of society. And so it's common for Christians to be pegged as naive, uneducated, you know, maybe bigots. They're just out of touch. Sometimes those stereotypes are justified, but a lot of times they're not. Um, and, and, you know, there's another similar kind of common dynamic that I think is happening in, in people in broader society. They are getting taught and educated about who Christians are and what they're all about from popular culture and from Hollywood and from digital platforms and more. And it's just false information. But if and when we cultivate healthy Christian families, people in our neighborhoods, teachers, parents in schools, coworkers, they're going to take notice and they're not going to be able to ignore the evidence. John, in the same way, you couldn't ignore the evidence in your mom's life. Oh, it was so stark. It was so stark. Yeah. Neighbors, coworkers, they can't ignore the evidence. And over time, what can happen, and no doubt what is happening, is that people who once held, let's say, a straw man belief about a Christian, they're going to have to now wrestle with the experiential evidence that they have of, of the family that they know, you, your kids, whatever you're doing. 
So maybe it's something like, and uses a hypothetical internal conversation. You know, man, I, I know those Christians, they're, they've got this backward and outdated view of marriage, but the Smiths, you know, across the street, they don't seem backward and outdated. They're actually kind and caring and they take an interest in how we're doing and their kids are really respectful and play well with others. And you know what? They even brought us a meal when my wife was sick last month. Right, that's just one little example. But when that happens over and over again and again and again, the negative stereotype of Christians, that is going to lose its power. That's like salt. It's like salt. Exactly right. Turns out Jesus knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing. You know, the second thing, and Shay, you mentioned it, so I won't belabor it too much. Um, but when we cultivate healthy Christian families, others around us are going to be blessed, period. This one's a little different than the first one. The first one was about, you know, reversing negative stereotypes, which is concerned with, I don't know, recovering the church's reputation, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But this one, you know, blessing others around us, that has just one thing in mind, and that's the welfare of others. Shay, you mentioned that that um, scripture from Jeremiah about seeking the welfare of the city. Um, that That's so important. And, and I've just mentioned it, right? When your family makes a meal for a neighbor or kids, gosh, if your kids treat the, quote, loser, in class with kindness and they don't engage in bullying, but instead they just are nice, um, that, that's going to have an impact uh, down the road, not just for that kid, but maybe even for their family. So all that to say, there, there's more to be said, but it's enough to say that when we cultivate a healthy Christian family, it can and will have a positive impact on the people and eventually the society around us. Okay, just to kind of start to land the airplane here. Okay. Land the airplane. Uh, yeah. Um, so if you don't believe us on this episode about the benefits of maybe growing up in a Christian family. Stop listening. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> listen to the experts at Harvard. Okay. So now this study that was done, it's a, it's a, a few years old. So maybe, um, maybe things have changed with social media and phones and all that kind of stuff's making everyone miserable and depressed. But, but uh, anyway, at Harvard a few years ago, they did a study, and uh, it was a group at the, called the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard. And what they did is they, they studied the impacts of growing up in a Christian home or a religious home, so not just—, just um, a Christian home, but they followed 5,000 adolescents um, over an eight-year period. That's a big sample size. That's yeah, legit. It, it's huge mm-hmm. and, and a long time. And here's what they found. Um, for example, um, adolescents who grew up going to religious services, that they found that 12% are less likely to ha- have high depressive symptoms. Um, 33% are less likely to use illicit drugs. Um, those who grew up in homes where there was prayer and Bible reading, those kind of things, they found that 30% were less likely to start having sex at a young age. Um, 40% were less likely to um, subsequently have a sexually transmitted um, disease. And then um, the, the study then also found that growing up in a religious or Christian home, going to church, um, these kind of things that 18% were more likely to report high levels of happiness. Um, 87% were more likely to have high levels of forgiveness. So we talked about that, forgiving one another. Mm-hmm. Um, 38% were more likely to volunteer in their community. And then 47% were more likely to have a high sense of mission and purpose. And, and I thought that that was really interesting because, you know, this is coming out of Harvard, which is <clears throat> maybe a little bit unexpected. 
But this is what this study found. And kind of going on around at that same time that that study was done, you know, um, the Oxford biologist Richard Dawkins, um, you know, said that basically growing up in a religious home is like, he said it's akin to child abuse, right? And he, he made that claim in his book, The God Delusion. And what the Harvard research showed is, is that, that what Dawkins was saying is, just isn't true, that there are benefits of growing up um, in a religious or a Christian family. Okay, let's just kind of wrap this up. We hope you've gotten some good takeaways out of today. And I guess maybe one way to kind of summarize everything is, out of all the things we've said— the presence of Jesus is very, very powerful, and he is strong in the believer because it's not about us. It's about his presence. So just walking with him and being faithful to him and even faithful to opening your heart to him when you're unfaithful and letting him love you in your brokenness, that brings a powerful presence of Jesus into your relationships across the board. So it's not about, you know, hey, I'm going to bring Jesus into my home. Guess what? He's already there. Yeah. So just open your heart to what he wants to do. And we uh, are going to wrap up this episode. We want to let you know your questions and answers are coming up in our next episode. We've got this open house coming, which will be really fun on March 1st. Mm -hmm. So you can find a sign up in the show notes. And we're going to do something a little bit different to wrap up today's episode. Um I used to sing this, which I'm not going to do today. Please don't. No, I'm not. I don't know. My allergies are kicking up, so I'm not going to sing it. But otherwise, I'd sing it perfectly on key. Um, but I used to sing this to my congregation uh, when I pastored as a benediction. And it's the high priestly prayer from the book of Numbers uh, from Aaron. And this is what God told him to pray over Israel. And we'll just close it by reciting this prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. 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 Thanks, John. Thanks, Shay. This was a lot of fun. And I uh, look forward to hearing those questions from you guys. Take yep. care. Thanks for listening. And thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of your life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Check out our website, withyouintheweeds.com. You can find all our episodes there and a whole lot more. Or if you like what you're hearing, simply follow us on Instagram. Like us and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds. Mm-hmm.